It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 296 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is titled Immortal Knowledge. It is February 26, 2021, and this is Jen. And today I have brought with me a voice you will recognize. He's been on the show before on the longest episode I ever had the pleasure to edit. It was wonderful. <laughs> so today I'm being joined by Dread Scythe. Hi, Dread. Hello, Jen. How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm doing good. It's after work on a Friday. That is the best time of the week. That is. That is so good. <laughs> so today, as our listeners may have guessed, we're going to talk about Diablo Immortal. And I know Dread Scythe knows a lot about this, and I'm sure I have questions about it. So where do we begin? I don't know. What do you, what, what do you want to know? What okay. do you want to talk about? Uh, well, well, what are your pressing questions? Mm, okay, so um, let's start out with we know the technical alpha is over. Uh, do we know anything about a beta yet? Uh, no, not right now. From what was said over in the Q and A's and the group interviews, it seems like every BlizzCon that like why does that he tends to have like a line or two. I mean, 2018, unfortunately, was one line, but mm, we won't mm-hmm. go into that. Yes, <laughs> that's that's to be over. That's mm. for this BlizzCon. There was he stated multiple times through multiple different sources that there's definitely more testing ahead of us than there's behind us. It seems i will use general vague terminology because i don't want to give misinformation and they weren't solid on too much so i don't want to give you know as i said misinformation but it seems like even though alpha the technical alpha seemed like we tested a lot when you start looking at everything that hasn't been tested uh the level 45 to 60 experience the dungeons along the way in the new zones that we have it tested along the way along with the bounties in those zones along with any special events in those zones and by special events i mean like the pvp arena in the biofan or the haunted carriage or the the purification of uh, corruption or zolkul's library with the scrolls any events like those that come along the way along with the itemization and then the end game events along with any other pvp content that's coming along the way along with the two other classes that we still haven't played so there's still a large chunk believe it or not that we have not played and not have a chance to experience there's going to be multiple rounds of testing uh going into the future and it seems like there's going to be at least two that's what i'm gathering that there's going to be at least two alphas or betas whatever you want to call them they're not even sure what they're going to call them where one's going to be for the necro and one's going to be for the crusader it seems like again general terms mm-hmm. uh which would actually be beneficial so people are don't have to choose between them they can just play the necro for that specific beta phase or the crusader for that specific beta phase so you don't have to pick and choose they get more concentrated feedback which is the whole point of this so i would imagine that my personal uh, guesstimation is that we're going to have at least two more alpha betas, what do you want to call them, and then probably a closed or open beta after that minimum, just to make sure everything gets tested, and then there's a, that big stress test at the end. The stress tests are fun. Mm-hmm. You know, like break the server, you know, make it so that they can fix it and that kind of stuff. Um, that's cool. So you mentioned that there's going to be, uh, unless this is speculation and I'm missing the point, um, that there's going to be a necromancer class and a crusader class. Is this confirmed or is this what people just think? Yeah, that's like the weird thing. It's like they are announced things. They will be in the game. They will be tested and they will be there at launch. But it's like how you said some other people that have known of Immortal kind of don't have that solidified knowledge. And I guess it's just an unfortunate circumstance of the team wanting to put the typical Blizzard spit shine on a game usually means they take longer than people kind of forget about things. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh my God. 
So, yeah, the Necromancer and the Crusader weren't there for the technical alpha, and they the only reason why they weren't there is, is uh, Julian, during the group interview that I was part of, basically said it's order of operations. Other things were ready. They weren't at uh, they weren't ready at the time. They're coming along fine. There's no real holdups. They just stated order of operations was like the only real deal. So yes, those two classes will be there, and they will be there at launch. You don't have to worry about them being like weird DLC, like day one type deals. Okay, very cool. So it's not you. You just get the game, and you have the various classes to choose from now for those who might be listening to this episode that didn't get into the technical alpha or maybe just sort of were so caught up in everything blizzcon line that they missed some of this stuff can you quickly just name what the classes were in the technical alpha and maybe discuss a little bit of whatever you liked or didn't like about whichever ones the classes in immortal is almost the same as diablo 3 minus the witch doctor so it was the barbarian the monk the demon hunter and the wizard were the testable four classes during the technical alpha they all played really well um i remember playing barbarian the monk and the wizard in 2018 at the demo and they Mm -hmm. felt good back then for the technical alpha i only played the wizard because hashtag wizard life Mm -hmm. hashtag wizard uh you know forever what And also because we didn't know how long the alpha was going to be, so I want to make sure I got to whatever the quote-unquote endgame was during technical alpha and actually do some thorough testing then rather than diverting my attention among two, three, four classes. I did seek out people who were playing the Demon Hunter being, you know, primarily Leviathan. Mm Mm-hmm, yep. Or people uh, like uh, Echo, uh, Echo Gaming, who Mm -hmm. did play all of them and who gave really good feedback on all the classes and was able to watch uh, their content, their videos, their live streams, to at least gauge like any improvements, like how do they play? Are they more melee-oriented, more range-oriented? Are they a healthy mix? Do they uh, combo well? How do the legendaries interact with them? And it seemed like all the classes play very well. The combat, the gearing, you know, in very general terms, they've done a really good job of pinpointing what the fantasy of each class is, targeting that and expanding on that through the abilities the manipulating of that through legendaries and the legendary gems system which was taken from diablo 3 but entirely reworked making that even more exciting to work with the legendary gear and your skills and such these classes are they customizable can you play as a male or female can you change your gear or is this not known yet yeah you can you can definitely pick male or female i think they have Again, I only made a wizard, so I only did the character creation screen once. <laughs> That's fine. But yeah, you can pick male, female, at least what they had in there. They had, uh, I think, like a racial, so like lighter skin, dark skin type deal in there. I'm 99% sure on that, but there's that 1% in the back of my brain that's going... No, this is like something on video you saw, but it wasn't actually an L. Oh, okay. But I'll, I'm almost 100% sure that that was in there. And I think... Looking at Diablo 4, you know, even though we're talking about more, but look, mm-hmm. looking at Diablo 4 in the future and how they were showing their customization options for the characters, and you're looking at World of Warcraft with the vast array of character customizations, like not just horns, not just tattoos, but also uh, skin color and all that kind of stuff. It seems like they're making Blizzard as a whole across all their games is looking to really factor in to make sure that if you want your character to look like you essentially at the end of the day you have an option there may not be a thousand options or a hundred options but they're going to try to give options where they can so i think that's the big takeaway bird's eye view uh, as far as character customization and i think what you're talking about with gear were you alluding to like a transmog system is that what what angle you're going for so i didn't get an opportunity to play Diablo Immortal, because at the time that I knew you could sign up for that, I had a really old, not really old, but pretty old uh, iPhone and a very, very old iPad mini. And I'm like, it's never going to run on these. So I'll just wait. And then I forgot. And then um, (laughs) then I uh, thought that when I went to the Diablo Immortal website, at the bottom, it said there was like a little box for Google Play and it said something like download game. And then there was an App Store one. And it was grayed out and you couldn't click on it or interact. I'm like, oh, it must not be on iOS. But then I learned later it was. So um, I don't know anything about how the game works from a 
personal perspective. So I'm hoping I can, you know, gain knowledge from you and all our listeners can enjoy that as well. I was kind of thinking about like a little bit with like transmogging like you do in D3. Like, can you change the color or can you change a piece of gear to make it look like a different piece of gear? And also if there are like sets to, to go find. I'll pull a white. I'll say I'll start from the end and work my way to the back. Sure. As far as we know now, as far as the technical alpha, I'll give that scope. Uh, There were no set pieces. It was either your common, your magic, your rare, or your legendary items that you found. There were no set pieces that we could find. And I'm unsure if sets are even going to be a thing in Immortal. I don't think any of us thought to ask the question, but I don't know if sets are going to be a thing. That's like a stay tuned in the future for mm-hmm. updates from the developers type deal. As far as gear itself, what you actually pick up, mm-hmm. it pretty much works the same way as like you would imagine Diablo 3, Diablo 2, you kill a monster, gear drops. They did add the functionality of in the options, you can scroll down during, into like the gameplay tab. And you can select auto pickup for common magic or rare items. And you just run close enough to the piece of gear, it auto picks up, throws it in your stash, which your stash is pretty substantial in size. But if you do have auto pickup for all three, like after every other bounty, you better go back and salvage that. Or because the, the game, I don't want to say throws loot at you like Diablo 3. Because it's somewhat accurate of a statement where I think the most important part of that statement is that it doesn't throw legendaries at you like Diablo 3 does. And that's critical. Even sometimes to my own chagrin, it's like, I just want, like, I see someone running around with that legendary and that would make my build awesome. But for the health of the game, going back to that, you don't have everything day, hour one, day one, week one. It's so much better for the game because at the end, Diablo is a loot hunting game. Mm-hmm. And if you get all the loot you need, hour one, day one, week one, then you kind of, I don't want to say you beat the game, but the main purpose of the, of the game is kind of done. And then you need ever increasing end game systems to compensate for the loot hunt being done. That's one really good a thing i wanted to point out when it comes to gearing in general as far as the transmog system there was nothing to test in the technical alpha but transmogification as far as being a system will be implemented uh at some point i think it's like one of those things it will be it will be there when the game launches we just don't know when it's going to be implemented in the testing phases and the issue of like cosmetics is kind of tangentially related they were asked like are they going to be doing like funny goofy things uh anna kick live is a diablo 3 streamer she has like a chicken suit oh cute <laughs> yeah, because she plays a wish doctor so chicken chicken runs chicken bills like it was just one of those things and julian gave a really good answer was like they really want to make sure that the world of sanctuary feels like sanctuary that they're very aware uh, through the process for each item they create goes through a very lengthy process to make sure it works with every class it works with all the models that it doesn't break the class fantasy like it doesn't like override like if I'm a wizard and I put something on it it doesn't like make me look like another class like I I don't look like a hulking barbarian mm-hmm. um, it kind of preserves the fantasy of class which I think is a great thing I mean we had a lot of cool things in Diablo 3 trans- transmog-wise, but some of them were a little bit over the top. And then you go looking, it's like, okay, that's cool. But then you start getting into like ridiculous land um, with some of these things. And when you take all this, there was self-admitted like button there during that conversation uh, with Julian, where he said like, if we went by these rules, we wouldn't really be able to make we'd be making a lot of the same kind of looking things. So we're also keeping in mind in what areas can we stretch our own boundaries to do something that actually looks different, but still maintains that fantasy with their core core rule set, but make sure that whatever they're making, just it's not like, it's not like World of Warcraft where they make a mount and then they reskin it a dozen times, mm-hmm. but it's the same base model. 
And when you do these achievements in WoW, it's like, yay, I got this achievement and I got this mount, but it's just a reskin or recolored version of something I could buy for 10 gold. Mm -hmm. Like, they, they're very aware of that situation as well. They're basically both extremes, like the wacky versus the plain. And they're, they know they have to kind of shoot for a really solid middle ground as far as cosmetics and looks, because that's going to be part of the pay model. Because again, it's it's a mobile game, so there's right. always that third perspective that we have to keep in mind with every part of the game going forward. Picking up from the cosmetics and uh, uh, payment kind of stuff, it is my understanding, and maybe I'm wrong, that perhaps Diablo Immortal is looking at, hey, if you want this cool little, you know, transmog or piece of gear or pet or whatever, uh, you could go ahead and buy it, but it's not actually going to dramatically improve your character's stats or skills or or whatever it's kind of like just a fun thing does that sound like maybe what's going on it's one of those things to hear it but again playing through the technical alpha and, and then like really deep diving into all the menus all the systems and all the things they're really key on never having a direct power buy now it gets a little wishy-washy in one area, which could be its own little subtopic sure. <laughs> by itself. But it's hard not to like talk about legendary crests because that's mm -hmm. the kind of thing as far as like player power and everything like that. Because it's not really pay to win, but it kind of is play to progress. But then it's also the perspective you're taking, or you're taking from a total view, or you're taking it from the you yourself and I kind of viewpoint. But when it comes to like cosmetics. When you buy them, they are cosmetic only. They don't increase your player power at all. They don't give you. It's not like it's not like you buy like a pet and it does something wonderful for you. Like nope, a uh, pet would be a pet. Pets and some someone during the QA, I think it was uh, Greg, talked about pets and mounts if they were going to be immortal, and neither are planned to okay. be in immortal. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're open. Oh, probably more pets than mounts. Mounts would be a little bit weird, especially with how awesome the teleport and waypoint system is. Mounts aren't really needed because you can almost teleport anywhere you really wanted to. Cosmetics, when you buy them, they're yours. Um, and probably expand on that. They again said during the uh, group interview from Wyatt, there were a couple question marks on the paid track mm -hmm. of the battle pass. So the battle pass will be like a 30 day, I don't want to say season because that's a weighted term for us in our community. So it's like it's like 30 days. So basically it's like a monthly battle pass. Everyone has access to the top track, which is the free one. But if you choose to pay for the paid one, there's more currency items. There's more uh, like legendary quests, rare quests, honor, normal gems, but not gear. They're not going to put gear on the pay track because, again, they don't want people to be able to pay directly for power or items, per se. And there were a couple of question marks on there, and they confirmed that cosmetics will be on the paid track. And they were also very aware that if they put a cosmetic or multiple cosmetics on the pay track and you paid for that uh, battle pass that month, when that month is over that those items shouldn't go directly into their version of uh, an online store that people can just buy them without putting in the effort, so yeah. to speak. Mm -hmm. So they're going to have a uh, exclusivity period for the Battle Pass cosmetics to make sure that if you went through and you put in the effort and you got them, that you will have a period of time that they haven't nailed down yet that when you show up those items, people know like, oh, you got to the end of the battle pass for January and you earned that. So even though it's like, it's weird because it's like, yeah, you pay for that track of the battle pass. You still have to go through and get all the points to unlock levels one through 40 as it stands in the technical alpha. So it still has a lot of work and effort involved into it. So I thought that was a good thing that they stated. That's really cool. I kind of like that because it's, it gives you, like, if you don't have the money or you don't want to pay for a game or, you know, whatever your finances are that month, it sounds like you can still get something. But if you have the opportunity to uh, support the game with, you know, money and you want to, that you get a little extra, but you can't, it doesn't just end up, here's your stuff. You have to actually work for it too. Either way, right? 
Yeah, the the whole like Wyatt and Julian and everyone on the development team. I mean, they they've had experience in Diablo One, Diablo Two, Lord of Destruction, Diablo Three, Reaper Souls, uh, the Necromancer Pack. So they really have a good sense of direction and a wealth of knowledge. And when it's just a matter of figuring out what they feel is the initial direction for things like what should and shouldn't be be able to bought uh, in the game, what should and shouldn't be exclusive for a certain amount of time. And those are just things they're learning now, but those are also things that they're taking player feedback on. But they definitely have a core set of principles that's like, no buying of power, no buying of gear items. It was strange when you went to what essentially was like the cash shop, there really wasn't that much to buy. So it's not like they're trying to like fake us out because we knew pretty much everything that was in the game. And it was like, yeah, those would be cool things to buy if we were like really trying to min-max and that would like help, help you shortcut a little bit. Um, even though what I just said is kind of it's a lot more vague, it's a lot more general than it really is. Basically, it, it couldn't be that quick. When I say shortcut, don't think it's like, oh, I, I get to like take like 100 hours worth of effort and condense it down to one hour. Like, no, it's nothing like that. So yeah, to, to sum it up, they're, they're really aware of like all these different aspects, and I feel that they're doing a really good job each time they let us know information. I think that's good, because I know early on everyone was like, and I know early on the initial release was uh, not well received, um, but I think there was concern by at least some of the Diablo community that, oh, well, it's a mobile game, so it's going to be pay to win, mm-hmm. you know, and it's going to be like loot box heavy, and it's going to be, you know, gated unless you pay this much or something, and it's such a relief to know that they're not doing all those things that we don't want. Yeah, and it's it's a little bit weird because after the technical alpha, I had like this itch, like okay, I have to play like a mobile game, so I went back to the mobile game I was playing before Immortal, and I was playing it every day, and then I saw like all the it wasn't like I like I resaw the pay to win mechanics in it. It wasn't that I resaw like the power differences because I was always aware of them. But it was like I was aware of like all the annoyances, like how I had to go basically and click on like thirty three thousand different menu options to make sure I got everything for the day to make sure I wasn't falling behind. And I was like, there really wasn't anything like that. Like if I wanted to play Diablo Mortal, I wanted to play Diablo Mortal because I wanted to play my character. It wasn't so much I felt like I needed to play because I felt like I would be so far behind if I missed one day's worth of bounties, or. I would be so far behind because I didn't get in like my two to four hours of grinding with Paragon that we got up to in testing. I'm like, like no, I wanted to play Immortal because I just wanted to play a Diablo game. And I think that was one of the greatest takeaways I had after I played Immortal and gave myself a little bit of time to play was that Immortal had two benchmarks that were never really stated and... Like developers probably would have liked to have heard, but they didn't want to ask it directly because it's like one of those things. If you hear that as a, if you hear these as two questions posed to you, then you start thinking about it. It's almost like a, a surprise party is a surprise party. If you know a surprise party is coming, it's that mentality. Mm-hmm. And I arrived at these two questions and I answered them in such that is the Immortal a good game? Period. Not a good mobile game, just a good game, straight up. And is Diablo Mortal a good Diablo game? Straight up. You know, not for the mobile experience, but again, just a great Diablo game. And for both of them, I say yes and yes. There is tons to do. And there is even more coming with more classes. There's going to be more to do in Diablo Mortal when the game comes out than there ever will be in Diablo 3. Right. Easily. Bar none. Like it's it's not a subjective fact. It's objectively there will be more to do in Immortal than there is in Diablo Three currently. And Diablo Immortal is, in my eye, I've said for a long time, basically since the announcement and they showed off a lot of the combat, that Diablo Immortal is kind of a is like taking Diablo Three, fixing a lot of the problems, taking a lot of systems and iterating on them 
to fine-tune them and make them better and give them more depth and then letting that go wild that's really deeply exciting to me because i feel diablo 3 is the game that never got there because it was always in some kind of like development hell like it never was a it felt like it was never in such a stable spot that they could actually take us the development team could actually like take a moment breathe and actually figure out what they wanted to add to the game in some substantive way like they were always playing catch up i guess is what i'm trying to arrive at i think i can see that yeah like i'm thinking of like the auction house perhaps at that point when they had the auction house um the real money auction house thing and i guess there was an in-game one kind of thing too but i mean without real money um, I think perhaps they were going off of hearing players say, well, I can trade stuff in D2. Why can't I do that in D3? And so they'd come up with that idea of, okay, well, here, we'll just do it this way. And it turned out to be mostly a disaster from a lot of people's perspectives. And so that's why they got rid of it. But I think if they had the time to, like you said, you know, step back and go, do we really want to do this this way? It might have made a difference. Yeah, it's like there's plenty of examples. And ironically enough, I knew a couple of players who loved the auction house because mm-hmm. they were like, it's a money game, but for real. So it was like it was that it was, um, you know, the rumors about how about how the executive board felt about Reaper Souls before about Diablo before Reaper Souls launched mm-hmm. and then basically everything that's been listed in articles and rumors right. and everything like that. But getting back to, you know, the core topic, which is Diablo Mortal just being a really good game by itself and being a really good Diablo experience by itself because it's made by a great team that's been around for a while and understands what Diablo is. And to anyone who says, like, you know, the mobile Diablo game, this is heresy, Diablo 2 forever, it's like, the game's going to be free to play when it comes out. Download it and play it for a half an hour, hour. Like, the only thing you lose is a little bit of phone space and a half an hour of your time. If you don't like it, get rid of it. At least you gave it a shot. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, oh, I'm, that's going to be a terrible game without even trying it or looking at it or even just maybe even watching other people play it, you know, on Twitch or something. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it makes a huge difference if you actually give yourself the opportunity to sort of experience it in some way before you have an opinion about what it would be, you know. You need some data to go on. So I agree yeah. with that, yeah. Another question I had is, well, there's a few, so I'll start with this one. Uh, are you locked into one character? Like if you pick a demon hunter or you pick a barbarian or you pick a wizard, can you make more characters and play those classes as well? Yeah, I think, I don't remember how, and this may actually be not correct because you may be able to scroll, but yeah, you could definitely make multiple characters. Okay. I don't know what the max is. They probably don't don't know what the max is. Mm-hmm. It may be, it may go by the old Diablo 3 rule where however many classes there are, you times that by two. So if you wanted to have like a softcore wizard or if you want to have a male wizard and a female wizard or whatever, whatever they plan on doing. So I would imagine with the six classes at launch that you would have at least six slots so you can have at least one of each class when it, whatever you felt like playing I, that's what i'm saying mm-hmm. i know i at the character creation screen or the character select screen there were slots where you can click on a plus and that's where you would go through the whole character creation process again so yeah you definitely have multiple classes i don't know what the final number it is but like i said before i'm willing to bet however many classes there are that's how many slots, character slots we're going to have. So you can at least have one of each. Okay, that's cool. Now, you mentioned softcore and hardcore, and I assumed you were talking about D3, but is there a softcore and hardcore in Diablo Immortal? I know, that's why I stopped suddenly. because Yeah, because right I knew now, you there, meant Diablo 3. As, you know, as of but... right now, there is no hardcore in Immortal. Okay. Because, I mean, it makes sense. And, but I'll stop that statement right there because you're playing on the mobile. So it's like, okay, it's uh, the addition of is your Wi-Fi going to crap out? Are right. you gonna, how right. are you going to handle with phone calls and mm-hmm. different devices and how they handle? Okay, you have a call, but is the game going to be stable or just stable connection? If you're roaming in 4G, you go to 5G, and then all of a sudden you go back to like 1X. <laughs> like what happens? Mm-hmm. So I think for those reasons, maybe among other things, maybe because they also want to make sure the game is promoting, has a good social aspect to it. 
And I think one of the examples that Y gave was they want to make sure that you can just log on, play with your friends, and that is a pretty sucky experience that if the night before you were playing with your friend and then you log on the next day and your friend died. Oh, because of hardcore or something. Yeah. Yeah, they're rolling a new character and now you're kind of just by yourself. So it kind of takes away from the whole social aspect. I know that was one of the reasonings behind not having hardcore mode, but who knows maybe in a future patch or maybe by launch who knows they may be able they may change their mind and then just make sure everyone signs that contract over twice before they make their character <laughs> yeah something like that like the little pop-up in d3 that's like okay if your hardcore character dies it's gone forever make sure you know this you know if you like mm-hmm. you know, make one during a season or something and it's just i mean after you see it a bunch of times you're like yes yes i get it but some people don't they haven't played hardcore they tried this their character's dead they don't know what happened you know so it's interesting yeah. that they kind of looked at this sort of stuff when they considered mobile and, you know, you got to now wait around for your friend to catch up to you, you know, that kind of thing. That's They did a lot of thinking in this game, I think, so far yes. from what we can tell, you know. Definitely. It's really good. Um, so is the game intended specifically, in your opinion or from whatever knowledge you have, to be done with a group or is solo play something that can be done? I would say the solo experience, well, I didn't do too many group things. Parts of the end game will be raids, which they didn't give too much uh, substantial information during the group interviews. Even though we know there we know raids are a thing, it seems like conceptually like nailing that down. Um, they did say that there will be guild versus guild. PvP, but that could mean 100 versus 100 people, or it could mean teams of four against each other. <laughs> so you have, so like a guild could have multiple teams of four going against multiple teams of four from another guild. We don't know. They didn't expand uh, on that concept any further. But yeah, like grouping for dungeons, for challenge rifts, elder rifts, or just doing world content, it works fine. And I know that sounds like it works fine. There's that keyword fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, no, it, it's what you expect from a double game. You group up, you do stuff, and you come out. It's some aspects of the game. Like, I think when you get to Hell 1 and Hell 2 for layers that can pop up randomly, or they randomly spawn in the world, uh, they gear them towards four-player balance which makes sense when you think about it because if at the end of the day it is a simplified way of balancing those areas as well as um, dungeons uh, I think as well because they want to make sure that they're balanced for the maximum group size they are soloable at at some point you will be able to solo them you may not want to do a hell 2 dungeon just because it may take you longer than doing hell 1 or a normal one but you can definitely get up to that point so while the game has all has it will have all these group activities, the game is very soloable, and you can enjoy it playing it by yourself and just you know casually running into people and casually getting help when you need it uh, in the open world or in dungeons, whatever you want to do. But that grouping aspect is there, and it will be will come into play sooner or later. Uh, the as this, and as I mentioned before. Uh, when raids, when they eventually have a blog post and or a video for it, that's going to be the interesting thing. Uh, how they tackle, like what's basically, like how are they going to distinguish a raid besides the amount of people going into it versus your standard dungeon? Because it's basically the same thing, except the dungeon has one boss and the raids are typically have multiple bosses. So that's going to be the interesting thing when they get to that point and finally let us know that information. Now, one of the things you said was, like, could it be a guild of four fighting another guild of four? Does this imply that there will be guilds, or is this speculation on how this function might go? Guilds are a thing. They were they were a thing in the technical alpha, and there were guild achievements. Beyond that, there really wasn't much else okay. uh, to go off of. I mean, there was, like, your stereotypical, like, guild chat and everything like that. I mean, what, you've, what you come to expect across, you know, basics-wise across mm-hmm. Blizzard games. But they do want to make sure that there is something there for 
guilds to do, like either group activities or the PvP uh, aspect of, you know, a guild versus a guild. Again, whatever shape that takes, we don't have that information yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but they want to make sure that the guild is a social aspect of the game, but there are things attached to it, which is, again, as I said uh, a little while before, is taking some of the core concepts from Diablo 3 and just iterating on them and expanding them because, you know, a clan in Diablo 3 is literally just a group. (laughs) It is, yeah. It's a group and you can talk to each other and that's about it. And that, yeah, that's about it. So they want to make sure they have additional features attached to it to make sure like it's worth being in one and that you can do stuff with it uh we just have to wait for what those final details are it's good to know that there's something though you know Mm -hmm. and i'm wondering like and this is pure speculation because as you said we don't know a whole lot of details yet but i'm wondering if guilds will have like a special spot they can go to and like plan out like okay we're gonna go do this dungeon and here's what you need to know or if it's gonna be like a giant like shared stash for people that have stuff that they can you know put in there that other people can use if you're in the guild or something like kind of like world of warcraft sort of you know like a guild bank or something i mean if they're gonna have like achievements i wonder if there would be like a physical item like you did this dungeon in this amount of time here's your little statue or something like that Something that wouldn't change, you know, anything about your character, but it would just be like bragging rights, maybe? Your last tidbit there to give a specific example from the Q&A is uh, when they were talking about cosmetics. Uh, uh, this was actually something I forgot to say out to say about during a conversation was that mm-hmm. the cosmetics that you buy or you get through like the battle pass pay track when you get them, they're yours. You're not going to be like renting them or leasing them or you have to rebuy them. And they kind of like once you unlock them, they're yours. But they did bring up a particular situation specifically related to the guild where that rule may not be uh, so blanket. So so blanket of a rule. Mm-hmm. And it was in the and was in the conversation of almost exactly what you pointed out oh. where. Uh, it was a basic example. This may not be a thing, but like say for this month, to use a general example, mm-hmm. for this month there's this guild, there's all these guild achievements, and if everyone in your guild works towards that and completes all the achievements, there may be a cosmetic that's linked to that. So then everyone in the guild uh, works towards the completing all the achievements complete some and then everyone has access to get a cosmetic in that particular example that cosmetic that uh, status cosmetic I think is a technical term mm-hmm. even though they may call it something else who knows right would be linked to completing all those achievements and it's also a little complicated because since it's a guild people can come in at any time and people can leave at any time mm-hmm so if your guild got the special fancy cosmetic for, you know, this month and then they leave and join somebody else's guild next month, what happens to that cosmetic? Does it carry over? Does it stay stuck in the first guild? Those kind of questions, like if someone comes in, if someone leaves, those are the questions they're asking themselves. And in asking those questions, they arrive that they may, because all this is like very like conceptual, that they that those status cosmetics directly related to like the guild activities per se, uh, based around these. Again, I don't want to use seasons, so like right. monthly activities, for lack of a better term, would be temporary. So you would get access to that cosmetic, and then that thirty day cycle ends. A new round of guild achievements comes along. You have to do all those, and then you gain access to uh, a new cosmetic. Oh, okay. And you go from there. So that's like the only niche case where if you get something, it may be temporary. But they stress, I think, anything that you or get through, like the pay tier, the battle pass, when you buy it, you own it, it's yours, it's yours forever. Okay, that makes sense. Because then that's going to keep your guild pushing to get the new shiny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and I don't mind that because exactly what you said it's like a different form of gear hunt mm-hmm. it's a cause is a cosmetic hunt but you're doing it with the guild so it fosters a social aspect to the game it's another reason to come play the game daily it's all those it's all those small hooks that make sure 
you have a reason to log in and you have a reason to play with people and find people and do all these activities. Going back a little bit to like the concept of PvP in the game, it is my understanding, and I've seen some videos of this, that there is a dungeon that has like a large chest and a timer on it. And so you can go in there and fight whatever other players are trying to get the loot out of that giant chest. And uh, I guess last man standing seems to get it or something like that. Do you know about this dungeon? Like, how does this work? It seems so different from what I've seen of other dungeons in Diablo Immortal. Yeah, we call uh, it's a it's the Biofen Arena. So it's part of the open world. It's not a dungeon that you'd queue into. But I call those the Leviathan Killing Fields because that's (laughs) pretty much how it always was every time I went in there. Mm -hmm. What you would do is like if you were playing on normal difficulty, Hell 1 or Hell 2, because it gave, even though it was the open world, depending on what difficulty you were on, it would set you to your difficulty. So for instance, if I was playing Hell 1, and Leviathan was on Hell 2, we wouldn't see each other if we were in oh, that okay. uh, arena because it's part of the open world, and the open world is affected by what difficulty you set uh, in Westmarch, which is the main town hub. Mm-hmm. That's so very cool, by the way. So you would go into the arena. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Would, there would be a zone timer that let you know, like, it's going to, the chest is going to spawn in 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 5 minutes. And then what would happen, I think it was like five seconds before the chest would pop. Or I don't know if it was five seconds before or at zero seconds on the countdown. What would happen, the chest would spawn. It has chains going around it that it's locked from being even attempted to be open. And then there would be like this regular epic level mob, not like a hard mob or a boss. This um, epic level boss would spawn so everyone would be fighting each other but also trying to kill the the mob because once the that epic mob is dead the chains disappear on the, on the chest and then it's then it can be opened by players or at least players can attempt to open them and then usually what happens is everyone focuses on the mob and then quickly turns to killing each other and you can party with three other people in that arena which leads to very interesting things that happen unless you like form the party like 15 minutes ahead of time and then you all go there as a party to wait for this chest usually like the first four people that get to arena or whatever whatever um, given difficulty you're playing on they tend to form a group and then like every other person who trickles in solo kind of just says Oh, you guys are in a group. I have no chance. I'm just going to TP out of this. I'm not uh. going to bother. <laughs> yeah. And that happened a lot. It was one of those things that we asked, like, is partying up a good thing in the arena, let alone the greater PvP environment, if it's sort of like this in the, in the open world, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's still kind of an open question as far as partying being allowed in those arenas. But then again, the serve the region we were playing on was pretty was low populated because it was pretty much uh, North American. I wasn't no, no, no. it wasn't North American. It was the influencers that got invited. Mm-hmm. Even though there were a lot of us, it wasn't nearly as populated of a region compared to the other one, which is where all which uh, took place with thousands of people from Australia. So. Even though we didn't see it, we heard stories about like, yeah, there would be like four, six teams of four wow. in the arena. And then they would just go ham, like real battles with like multiple people. And we're like, oh, OK, so it doesn't seem that bad if you have like three or four or five teams in there. And then, as you said before, whoever is the last team or the last person alive gets to open the chest. And then there's a guaranteed legendary uh, in there, which was pretty cool because that's the only place you could ever get a guaranteed legendary every time. Again, going back to legendaries, do not drop like candy like they do in Diablo Three. Not by not by a long shot. So it's to entice people to do the sort of PvP thing. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, cool. and and uh, I guess just kind of like a last note: if you get killed in the arena, you will respawn outside of it, but you can't go back in. So oh. it's not like you can. It's not like throw. It's not like corpse running or anything. Like once you're dead, you're out. That's a way to narrow it down, though. Mm-hmm. You know, not make it be like a three-hour-long slog of people just coming back in. You know. Yes, this is not like the seventy-two-hour 
AVs of yesteryear. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, you mentioned Westmarch as a like a, a hub area. First of all, I think it's cool that they named, they picked Westmarch because it does fit into like, you know, you know what Westmarch is from Diablo 3. So that's kind of cool. But also Westmarch Workshop is a thing. And it's kind of neat that that seems to be a highlighted area. I know almost nothing about what you can do in that area in Diablo Immortal. So like, what's there? Are there vendors or are there like, you know, what can you do when you're in that area? You can do pretty much everything there except the bestiary. Which for some of us, it's like, why? <laughs> it's like if you want to if you want to interact with the beast area, you have to pick any other town in the open world, and you go. And I get like thematically, that's why it goes. But it's like one of those like annoying things. Uh, but you get used to it, and you're just like, okay, okay, I go to this town, repair, salvage, whatever, do the beast area, then I go back to West March. And then you could do everything in West March. That's where your stash is. That's where the blacksmith is. That's where the jewel crafter is. Uh, that's where you'll go to uh, do bounties, your elder rifts, your challenge rifts. The marketplace is there. There's a gold equivalent of Kadala there. Oh, wow. So you can gamble for gear. It's And he seems worse than Kadala as far as giving you good <laughs> oh, stuff. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, it's gold, which mm-hmm. is like used for a lot of things. So it's like, I could only really do like two of these before I'm like broke. Do I really want to risk it? Nah, I'll, I'll wait another day. Also, your charm crafter is there as well as not the only identifier, but there's also identifier there. So you get a legendary, you have an identifier, they identify it. Um, these the identifiers in the blacksmith and a few others exist in some of the towns, but the West March has pretty much everything. And you can just go from one thing, one thing to from one to another to another and get all your upgrading and all your higher gems do all that in one go around very cool so it sounds like it's like you could pick up a group and go do something there or from there like let's go to this dungeon or something yeah i would say that's what most people would do but then again there's not really a game system i mean you can look for a group they do have that, but you kind of have to be close to a dungeon portal itself, which, oh, they, okay. which they stated was an active design choice because they wanted to make sure people felt like they were in the world, they were part of the world, they were exploring the world. But it was a design choice, so if they feel at the end that they needed to change it, they could. But for right now, that's what they want. They want people to be in the world, to experience the world. It's kind of like original uh, World of Warcraft. You had to basically go to the dungeon portal mm-hmm. to go into it you couldn't just lfg into it and then teleport back to your main city and like never be in the world again right yeah that is how it works now there yeah <laughs> you mentioned the bestiary i don't know what that is yeah the, the, the bestiary is essentially like the bestiary is the bestiary and then you kind of just cut off the conversation right there like oh okay yeah <laughs> But essentially, to kind of think of it as like a like a book of cane, but it's all about the bosses, the monsters, like regular and rare monsters. When you go around the world, monsters have a chance of dropping a monster essence, and then once you collect ten of them, you go back to the beast jury, you hand them into the beast jury, which again is this book. Mm-hmm. The book opens, it does a little animation, and then it will randomly turn each time to a page. Now, if the page is it hasn't been, I guess, deciphered yet, it will decipher that page. It will show a particular monster, and then you'll gain some experience. You'll get uh, from it, and then you'll gain a small life bonus and a damage bonus. But after a lot of turn-ins where again you're lucky enough where the page actually deciphers because you could actually hit a page that's already been deciphered it's random mm-hmm. you can actually get a decent amount of health and you know not a lot of damage but like enough that actually it could help after a while and i guess that's one of their kind of built-in kind of help you out mechanics for lack of a better term uh, that if you just go and grind, but you're not really getting lucky on drops or anything like that. At least you have this system to help you out. That's really cool. I think you can only get three deciphered 
turn-ins per day, so it is limited. So you, I guess that's a way of preventing you from just constantly farming the monster essences every day. Yeah, that's what I would be doing, just because I want to know what the art looks like more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, just to make sure I don't leave anything out, when mm -hmm. you do decipher a page, they are going to add, like, little helpful hints for each monster in there. So that's a cool little lore but practical lore mm -hmm. uh, knowledge as well as when the book when you're done you close the book and then you get some gold you get some and you get some oh like three or four drops of random gear and again that experience uh that comes along with it which i think if i remember correctly the experience is actually different based on if it's a regular mob a higher end elite mob or a boss mob page that you decipher so there's actually some random ability with like the mob type that gets deciphered within the bestiary itself interesting so it's gonna be like i don't know diablo's version of pokemon gotta catch them all you know you go out and kill it and then you come back and find out about it it's sort of kind of i mean like not exactly one-to-one -one, you know but kind of <laughs> maybe yeah yeah, and now you mentioned that there could be lore on those, and I'm really interested in finding out if there was any, like, lore things released in the technical alpha, or if we're all just going to wait and see. In the sense of, like, the characters you meet up with, like, mm -hmm. Zul was in there, I think, Lacia or something like that, uh, like, was another character that... When you got to that part of the story, like, you and Zul were kind of going after. The Blood Countess is back in there... There's a little bit of past events with Taraja, Zone Cool, and Mal, Bell. There's there's a lot of uh, Decker Kane is there because it's mm -hmm. obviously in the events between Diablo 2 and Diablo 3. So he's there, of course. Right. There's a lot of lore and story that they're able to tell as far as like anything like written down or like the lore tidbits you get along the way in Diablo 3. Like... Like you kill a mo like you kill a monster in Diablo three and it drops the lore book. You hit the lore book and then it gives you a little bit of lore about that monster. Mm -hmm. I think that's what the bestiary is gonna wind up being. Oh, it's I not, get it now. Okay. It, like it's gonna kinda take what they what that was in Diablo three and kinda convert and that that's what the bestiary is gonna kinda be. So it's not gonna be like, you know, like dark tomes that drop in Diablo Mortal and you click on them and then you get little lore to bits. That's what the bestiary is gonna be. But as far as like general characters who can, who can expect how deep is it gonna tie into Diablo two and then looking forward at Diablo three, because again, that's where this uh this particular version of Diablo takes place uh, like Vala is going to be in there as mm. well and again like we only play through about three quarters of the story right uh, so there could be even more it's like if you know the, anything about the lore if you played like the earlier games like I played Diablo 1 a lot I didn't get to play Diablo 2 but I'm hoping to make that work with Resurrected you know <laughs> um, or mm -hmm. Remastered which one is it Remastered I think it's Remastered yes yeah, yeah. Remastered. Yeah, I'm going to get those confused forever, but um, <laughs> I'll try. But I know, you know, quite a bit about that. And I really dug into the lore of Diablo 3 and tried to pull in some of the older stuff in a podcast I used to do that I need to redo. and Well, not really redo, but like pick up again. So it's cool to kind of get the feeling that I'm going to recognize some of these figures and maybe learn a little more about them through Diablo Immortal. Maybe. Yeah, it, yeah they definitely want to... Um explore that and to just further show that they want to do that is why it like i thought he said it like once and then he i i heard him say it like another four or five times with different interviews mm -hmm. uh transcripts and everything that that when they did specifically the tower show uh zulton cool and uh bail kind of fight in the past like where you're kind of playing through a memory mm-hmm a part of again sorry spoilers for people that's too. fine i personally don't mind spoilers <laughs> other people might i do not personally mind them but i get that some people it's like might yeah sorry we missed the hashtag spoilers at the beginning well, we, of this we did uh, <laughs> yeah. um i've lost my followers whatever oh no <laughs> that when they did that they really loved that dungeon specifically because it allowed the player to play through how they interpreted the, that event went down and they kind of and that was doable because it was part of Zulk Cool's uh, library which is a whole zone 
to itself and immortal. And they view Zoltan Kuhl's library almost akin to the Caverns of Time in World of Warcraft. Now, for those who have played World of uh, of Warcraft Mm -hmm. and have heard or played through some of the dungeons in the Caverns of Time, understand that that's World of Warcraft's gateway to playing through past events, multiple past events, like uh, the Battle for Mount Hygel, the Black Morass, and where Thrall escaped his capture. So if they're looking at the Library's own cool as kind of this way of opening up past events, past battles, key points in time, to allow them to add dungeons that allow the player to be more enthralled mm-hmm. in the past events to make them seem like they like they have to go to like a novel that was made 10, 15 years ago to understand what's going on, like the Vajirai clan wars mm-hmm. and such like that. They could very easily do an event and dungeon centered around that if they wanted to, and it gives new life to those past key events and past key figures that it's really cool that they'll be, and, and also for lore heads, um, right. I'm like I'm like trying to figure out where is like due south of me so I can be staring at nine in Florida. For people like uh, him and yourself mm-hmm. that just want to know more, and it'll be cool because not only would you learn more, you would actually be playing through those events, being part of them. So I feel that's very cool. And it's going to be more memorable. You know, it's one thing to hear somebody, you know, read somebody's blog about the lore and the Diablo universe or, you know, a podcast about it or something like that or a video about it. It's one thing to do that. It's another to like feel like you are living through it via your character. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, like I didn't understand too much about going like World of Warcraft, mm-hmm. Cameras of Time. Like, I didn't understand a lot about Medivh. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's like the crazy wizard that like Sargeras took over in his mother's room and all that kind of mumbo yeah, it's, stuff. It's, yeah, it's it's and, weird. Like, like <laughs> it's a little weird. And everything like that. But when you play through the Black Morass, you get a lot of quick information dump, and you're like, oh, okay. So like, the timing of events, mm-hmm. what was actually going on, why it was such a pivotal event. So uh, exactly how you said, allowing the players to play through it makes it more memorable. They take a lot more away from it, and it just makes for more enriching experience as you're playing through the game. Yeah, I think that's gonna be neat. Is there anything that like I just don't have any knowledge of that people that are interested in maybe playing Diablo Immortal might want to know? I guess in like a lightning round kind of fashion, uh, for people who are concerned about like okay, like how deep is the game, like customizing your skills, how do the skills work, are they interactable? It's going to be like a dumbed down version of Diablo three. Mm-hmm. I would tend to say that the animation and everything they're doing with what was shown to us is that Immortal will have a good uh, amount of customization as far as the skills you pick and why you would pick one skill over another. It's actually very determinable uh, around the legendaries you get because the legendaries are a key part of how you augment your skills. Uh, A a good example, uh, two quick examples, was Scorch is basically, I say, a fireball that you bowl it's like bowling with like a giant full of uh, fireball. There was an, inter- an interaction. Uh, again, this is all in the wizard. Uh, there's an interaction where you launch your scorch and then you used another ability called uh, arcane wind. And the arcane wind would give you a firestorm bonus dealing more damage because the wind is feeding the flame patch on the ground after the scorch which was there for a couple seconds after using the Scorch. So it was this, it was a nice, cool skill interaction, that, and you would f- discover these as you were playing. So whenever you found a Legendary that augment either one of them, like there were several for Arcane Wind that would turn it from like a cone AoE to like a standalone tornado that would heat seek out enemies, which was amazing. It was like probably the best version of that augmentation. But then there was another one that would launch uh, a tornado straight out from you wherever you aimed it, which was also cool by itself. Uh, and then you have the older examples, which was you know using ice crystal, which is this essentially ice crystal that temporarily slows down uh, enemies close to it, and then explodes, dealing more ice damage. And then we were shown 
that if you shoot your ray of frost into it, it basically fractures the ray of frost, hitting all enemies that are close to the ice crystal. But what I didn't know is it also works with disintegrate. So if you shoot your disintegrate beam into the ice crystal, it does the same exact thing. There are other legendaries that that turn disintegrate into a fire version and added fire dot damage. And then there was a legendary that I love that gave three smaller beams to the disintegrate, which was amazing because you'd be going through a pack of like 20 mobs in front of you, but one or two mobs would always be behind you every single time without fail. But those three smaller beams would take out the one, the mobs getting close to you and would just, it would help you be better at, make sure you're being defensive and taking care of your character while trying to take away these packs of 15, 20, 30 mobs that you had kited around into this giant pack. Wow. That's a lot. But yeah, I mean, besides just wanting to mention that as mm-hmm. far because I know that's a big concern um, and, and they could always add more. I mean, uh, as far as customization is concerned in the future, who knows? I, I just say that they, it would just be one final comment that they did a really really great job of wanting you to get out in the open world like you want to go to the open world like the open world is the best place to go for pretty much everything you're not going to be running elder rifts non-stop like we're used to at nauseum with grs and rifts and diablo 3 mm-hmm. we're not gonna go into dungeons at nauseum unless you're like unless you like dungeons I mean, <laughs> unless you like really love dungeons mm-hmm. and you're like no this is how I'm gonna get like that point zero five percent more of the rare crafting material and mathematically this is the best so i'm just gonna follow the math unless you're like that kind of player Mm -hmm. you can pretty much get everything you need at the rate you want it in the open world and it's great because myself and a lot of people found that the bounties which we did we didn't talk about but bounties themselves are a joy to do in Diablo Mortal oh, because because the bounties are relatively simple. Um, you can only do a set amount of them per day. So it's not like the game is like, yeah, doomed that nausea. I'm like, no, you have a limit. And the bounties for me, in my opinion, kind of set up what you were going to do in the open world because as you go from one bounty to another, there could be a pop-up event or there could be like a legendary mob that you're like, ooh, I got to go kill that thing. Uh, before someone else does and the bounties are kind of like your point a b c and d but there could be like you know things you do in between them like event pop-up event one legendary mob two then you get the point b and then there's another pop-up event and then like oh let me do the haunted carriage in this zone since i'm here let me do it i'm close do that and then you go to point uh you know point c i forget where it was always a problem when you're doing like you know point one and then you always say like point two and all that kind of stuff right Mm -hmm. um but you but i think you and the audience kind of gets it it's like they're a facilitator of things to do in the open world but they're not the only things to do in the open world which is the key takeaway and it's great they and it helps the bounties themselves not feel repetitive and it makes the open world feel not required but like you want to do it which was like a huge and is a huge change coming from Diablo 3. And it's something that Diablo 4 is going to be like, okay, you have to be as good as this, if not better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's gonna, That's a whole other show. But um, <laughs> yeah, you've really made me even more interested in getting into Diablo Immortal. So that was cool. <laughs> and I hope other people that were questioning about, do I want to do a mobile game might think a little bit more highly of it. Now. Yeah, a, a lot of us when Diablo Immortal was over, we're like, I miss Diablo Immortal. And then it would just become this, like, Twitter thread chain of, like, a dozen people going, like, yeah, I just miss Diablo Immortal. I saw (laughs) some of that, yeah. I was like, wow, this game is really good if all these people are, like, missing it now. And it was just a technical alpha, too. Yeah, it's like um, Zenkiki and and myself, uh, Zenkiki does... um, the main person over at Diablo fans, him and I were going like, we have nothing to do while our kids are sleeping now, oh. while they're taking their naps and we're watching. We have nothing to do. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, like watching TV is boring. Like, I, like this, that was like my immortal time. Like, yeah. I want the alpha back. <laughs> yeah, I could see where that would be something you'd want for that situation. Totally. 
Okay, so with that, um, we've did a pretty long show, which is cool because my previous show was about BlizzCon Line while BlizzCon Line was going on, and it was tiny. So this kind of supplements that. Thank you for coming on and just dropping all this Diablo Immortal knowledge on everyone so that they can, you know, learn more and get into the game and, you know, hype the game and stuff like that. Before we go, would you like to tell our listeners where they can find you? online and you know on social or whatever you're comfortable with you can find me on twitter at dreadscythe that's the main area that you'll be able to find me um i am the i used to be diablo 3 site manager over at blizz pro but now it's just diablo site manager because we have four active games for the diablo franchise in development and there are six games total (laughs) for the diablo franchise wow the diablo franchise outclasses everything at blizzard right now so yeah you can find me over at blizzpro.com diablo side of things over the next couple of weeks i may be launching a insert something weekly discussion 10 to 15 minutes at most kind of discussion weekly i don't want to say podcast but just like video series so i can just do something to keep up with all the Diablo news that we're getting and express opinions without having to make it a hour and a half long development hell series that I, I'm used to doing. Those are fun though. <laughs> they are, but they're, they're really so neat. Much work. Oh, I'm sure they're a ton of work. That's part of what makes them so impressive as you can tell how much work you put into all this. Like you're really, you really have a passion for the franchise and the details of it, which is way beyond anything I can do. And I've always been impressed by those. Well, thank you. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to close out the show. You have been listening to episode 296 of The Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in-game. Our in-game community and clan, both named Shattered Soulstone, are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as at the Shattered Soulstone website. This show is powered by you, the listener. Send in your thoughts, contributions, questions, and feedback to our Twitter at Shattered Stone or Facebook at facebook.com slash Shattered Stone. And you can also uh, leave a comment at at uh, ShatteredSoulStone.com because we do have the ability for you to do that. And you can also send us an email. Yeah, it's like the same as it was before. Show at ShatteredSoulStone.com and then I'll get that and we can take it from there. And that's all for today. Thank you for listening.